what we call the kingly anointing. But I also want to make sure we start with the right foundation because it actually talks about the journey of actually receiving different levels of anointing in your life as you grow in greater authority and revelation of God. So there are three dimensions of the anointing, including the anointing for salvation, the priestly anointing for ministry, and the kingly anointing for dominion. Everyone say dominion. Dominion. Now, sometimes there's teaching out there that's a little bit more focusing the kingly anointing just on the marketplace. I want to bring a holistic biblical focus. It's not just for the marketplace. It is, but it's really about uh, full dominion, authority, ruling and reigning, and that can be in all levels, in the spiritual realm and also in the natural realm. Uh, So we're going to look at biblical examples today. Um, But what's interesting is these three anointings we're going to talk about today, and I find it's always more powerful when we actually do an activation after the service and we're going to do a a release of the anointing upon people and praying for them. Um, It's always best to receive something like that when you have a a fresh revelation about what you're actually receiving. Um, But what I want to also share with you is what's interesting is the anointing of God is also very much tied closely to the covenants of God. Can I get everyone to say covenants? Um, Because there are actually uh, different covenants in the Bible uh, pointing to the fact that every covenant, whether there were covenants in the Old Testament or even the covenants fulfilled in the New Testament, every covenant is about an agreement that God made with his people. And that agreement included promises. It also includes what we call terms. Um, It also includes blood. Okay, not that we're going to be shedding any blood here today, but blood was a way to actually um, make it very clear about the authority of God and it being complete and also uh, the, the power to, to wipe the slate clean and God actually bringing in redemption with every covenant. So blood is actually very important. And also it included a seal and the seal usually at some point had to do with the blood. And so very quickly, I want to talk about these covenants. I'm just going to list them, but I want you to understand why the covenants are important. And particularly, we're going to look at the two covenants in the New Testament. A lot of people think that there's just one new covenant. Well, there is, but that actually has an extension to another covenant. So we'll talk about this in a second. But the first one was the Adamic covenant or the Adam covenant. Noah, Noahic Hick, or Noah covenant, the covenant with Noah. Abrahamic or the Abraham covenant. Mosaic Uh, with Moses, Davidic, which was David. So they were all the Old Testament. Then you had the new covenant, obviously, that Jesus um, established when he died and rose again on the third day and conquered sin and death. That was the new covenant. But who knows that we also uh, are all about the everlasting covenant. Who knows what the everlasting covenant is? So the new covenant is, is that we are free from sin and death as we give our name to Jesus, but we're also, we are partnering with the Holy Spirit and we're actually given a promise by God that we are part of the everlasting covenant, that we're going to rule and reign with Christ forever. Who thinks that sounds like a great idea? Oh, who thinks that sounds like a great idea? Okay, good. Right. Remember Pastor Ben last week challenged people, we've got to verbally get an agreement. Can I hear an amen? Don't go to sleep on me, church. Can I hear an amen? Okay, good. That's it. Too right, mate. <laughs> That's right. Is that you, Jeremy? Because <laughs> that, that fits you. I think that's good. Can I, can I hear a couple more or two rights, mates? Um, actually, three or four, five, six. Okay, so, but every covenant promises power. Every covenant of God promised some type of dimension of power. Um, and each covenant was about replenishing, and each was about allowing people to possess a certain level of power so that they could actually own gates over their enemy. And so it's all about people going to a new level of authority and dominion. And that was a strategy or a reason why God wanted to establish covenants with people. And so it relates to the anointings because the anointings particularly, we're going to look at these examples from the Old Testament that are very relevant today. There are three anointings in the Bible. So if you've got your Bibles, turn to Leviticus chapter 14. And we're going to have a look at this in a minute. But before we do that, I want to talk about victory and these anointings. To have victory in areas of our lives, first of all, we've got to understand these different anointings from God that he gives us. And also, we've got to understand why they're given to us. What's the reason behind it? What's the strategy behind it? The first one, uh, where you actually look at oil was poured out upon the heads, it was actually upon the heads of lepers. Can I get everyone to say lepers? 
And so we're going to look at this first anointing, which we also call the salvation anointing, is also called the leper's anointing. And it talks about, about the power of sin uh, being broken off our life. And obviously there's an example of the new covenant. So we'll look at that in a minute. But the second type of person that oil was poured about was the priests. Can I get everyone to say priests? So you've got the leper's anointing or the salvation anointing, the priestly anointing. And then the third one was kings. Can everyone say kings? So the, the third one was the kingly anointing. So concerning Jesus, we'll look first at Luke and then we'll go to Leviticus. Luke chapter 4 verse 18. Most of you will know or have heard of this scripture. It, it says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. This is Jesus speaking himself, fulfilling a prophetic word, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Now, before we go into these three anointings, this is something I want everyone to catch today. That one critical factor about receiving the anointing by faith Walking underneath an anointing, carrying an anointing, walking in an anointing, working with an anointing is an anointing is not just a mystic uh, magic dust kind of thing. An anointing is always attached to your identity. Can I get everyone to say identity? So about receiving an anointing, I can tell you personally in my own life, there was first an identity shift when I was saved. When I gave my heart to Christ, I had to have an identity transformation from what I was to what God was, had turned me into, as in I was saved, I was wiped clean, but there was a reprogramming that had to take place. So the very first shift in my identity in my heart had to do with my salvation. And I know that there was an anointing that came upon my life when I was saved. Why? Because that anointing enabled me immediately to stop doing certain things. It enabled me to actually want to spend time with Jesus. I was really hungry for the word. There were certain things that I still had to battle though to cut off, but it enabled me to shift in this whole identity, being called a man of God, being called Christ-like, being called someone who was a Christian. Even my friends who weren't saved at the time, who were my flatmates, nicknamed me the Jesus boy. They even um, bought me a t-shirt and did the, like the iron printing called Jesus Boy. And we, we saw about uh, just under 20 uh, people who were used to smoking marijuana and doing all types of things and playing with Ouija boards in different uh, flat, flatmates in different homes in Highgate Hill and West End come to Christ over six months because what the Lord was doing, he started with me and then it started kind of going with another people. And it was all about the anointing. And so there's, a, there's an identity shift that takes place with the anointing. Then in my life, I can tell you there was a season when I started to see God developing a priestly anointing on my life, where God was starting to say, hey, you're not just called to be a Christian, you're not just called to be saved, but you're also called to minister to others. You're called to grow in your authority, that you can actually lay hands on people, you can actually believe by faith for people, you can start to speak words of life into people, you can take the word of God, let it be a two-headed sword and not just allow it to build you up and cut away things in your own life, but also let it bring restoration to other people life, as you become a mouthpiece, as you become an encourager, as you become someone who serves in the local church, God started to release and build a priestly anointing upon my life and many, many other people around me in my local church. But it was about understanding that it wasn't just some mystic kind of thing that floats upon you, but it actually was anchored with an identity, a shift that not only did I see myself now as someone who was nearly saved out of the world and actually born again, but now I saw that I had a calling, that God wanted to use me as a vessel, that His Holy Spirit and His Word wanted to move through me to actually touch people's lives and encourage people's lives. And I started to get an enrichment in my identity that I was called to do that. And I was called to help build the kingdom of God. And I was called to actually help build the local church. And I was called to serve. And I was called to win people out of the darkness into the light. And so there's, a, there's an identity shift that takes place. See, a lot of times people miss actually carrying the anointing, feeling the anointing, walking in the anointing, because they don't connect the anointing to actually an identity shift or an identity transformation. See, I can preach or talk about the anointing, but you've got to understand the core cemented foundation is the anointing is given to you when you first actually, you've got to catch the identity. You've actually got to spend time with God. He's got to give you a revelation of who you are, the season that you're in, the plan and purpose that he has for you. And then and only then is your heart positioned to go, I want and I need the anointing and then God will give it. The anointing is so precious that God will not give it to people who are not ready to actually be faithful with it. 
So when we pray today and we're releasing the anointing, there's all going to be different types of anointings that gets released because it's actually going to be be based on where you're at. And so uh, in, your, in your different seasons, we're going to pray for an enrichment and a refreshing of the anointing and a release and hitting a reset of the anointing and new anointings being released today. But understand that there's going to be different anointings supernaturally that touch people in different ways because of who you are, where you're at in your season of God and actually what you're called to do. So who likes the fact that it's not just some little blanket, supernatural, kidomistic, little powwow hype session today, but it's actually individualized based on who you are, where you're at, and what God has for you. Who likes that? That's what I love about God is he's very specific. He's a God of a macro army across the world, but he's also very much into the individual. And so let's have a look at the leper's anointing to start with. Leviticus chapter 14, verse 14. Let's start there. We're going to look at this example of the priest actually receiving the anointing to minister to the lepers. So let's have a look at this. Leviticus chapter 14, verse 14. The priest shall take some of the blood of the trespass offering, and the priest shall put it on the tip of the right ear of him who is to be cleansed. That was the leper. On the thumb of his right hand and on the big toe of his right foot. Everyone say ear. Everyone say hand or thumb, and everyone say toe. In Leviticus 14, 15, And then the priest shall take some of the log of oil and pour it into the palm of his own left hand. Leviticus 14, 16. Then the priest shall dip his right finger in the oil that is in his left hand and shall sprinkle some of the oil with his finger seven times before the Lord. Verse 17, and of the rest of the oil in his hand, the priest shall put some on the tip of the right ear of him who is to be cleansed on the thumb of his right hand and on the big toe of his right foot on the blood of the trespass offering. Verse 18, the rest of the oil that is in the priest's hand, he shall put on the head of him who is to be cleansed. So the priest shall make atonement for him before the Lord. Now, what's interesting is the priest first does this. In terms of the blood, the blood is first used on the leper. Now, what does the leper represent? The leper represents someone that leprosy in the Bible is a perfect analogy for sin. For sin, for uh, wickedness, for that, the death on the inside, obviously expressed externally. But leprosy in the Old Testament was an example of, of sin taking over someone's life. And so the very first thing the priest does to actually bring an anointing, to bring a transformation of the leper, who we know in the New Testament represents sin, is he first takes the blood. Everyone say blood. Because we know in the New Testament, it takes the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for us to destroy the power of sin and death that we actually claim over our life. So in the Old Testament, this example is perfectly resembling what Christ has done for us in the New Testament. But there's two things. First, the priest takes the blood and puts it on the ear, puts it on the thumb, and puts it on the toe of the leper. Then he takes the oil and also puts it on the ear, puts it on the thumb, and puts it on the toe of the leper. And then he takes other uh, oil and he actually, before the Lord, says, bless this, anoint this. And then he puts the rest of the oil on the head of the leper. Leviticus 14 gives a series of procedures for the leper and the priest to go through. And these procedures had to be adhered to in order for healing to take place. It was very specific. So first, the leper offered a lamb for the trespass offering. So the leper actually had to bring a lamb. That was interesting in Leviticus 14.13. In Leviticus 14, 13, it says, Then he shall kill the lamb, that's the leper, kills the lamb in the place where he kills the sin offering and the burnt offering in a holy place. For as the sin offering is the priest, so is the trespass offering. It is most holy. The blood of the lamb was then applied to the right ear, the right thumb, and the big toe of the, of the right foot of the leper by the priest. And after the blood was applied, the anointing oil was applied to the same spot on the ear, the thumb, and the toe. Now, what does this all mean, you might be thinking? Because if you are thinking that, I was thinking the same thing when I was studying it. Thinking, oh, this is all interesting, but what does it mean? Let's go there. Because we're talking about this first anointing. The first anointing in your life to receive is what we call the salvation anointing. So what does the ear represent? The ear represents hearing. As sinners, when we're actually separate from God and sin separates us from God, we actually refuse to hear God's commandments and we break them continually. That's what is a good example of someone who's in a place of sin, someone who's separate from God, someone who isn't saved. 
So as Christians, we listen to the voice of the Good Shepherd and we keep his commandments to love and to serve one another. So actually what was happening was when it looked, comes to the ear, that represented the fact that the leper had to transition and the healing had to take place first in his ability for his heart to turn back to God and to listen to the voice of the Lord. Can I get everyone to say amen to that? And so when the salvation anointing comes upon you, when God's starting to move in you and people are starting to turn to the Lord, there's something about the word of the, of the Lord. There's something about the gospel. There's something about the presence of God. There's something about the reality of God starting to be able to get past the, the hardness of people's hearts that it once was. And the anointing comes onto the word. The anointing comes onto worship. The anointing, the salvation anointing comes upon people's lives, whether you're ministering to someone and you're just speaking to them in their home or they're at a church service for the first time or whatever it is or that they're being prayed for and they're being delivered there is an anointing that comes upon when someone actually comes to a place in their life where they say you know what it's time for me to transition from where I am and I need to give my heart to Christ I need to declare with my mouth and confess with my mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior that when that actually takes place before you this is why church we need to get excited when we see people saved we need to get excited about inviting people to church we need to get excited again if you've been, if you've been a little bit dormant in that, you need to get excited again about actually seeing people uh, be saved and salvation taking place in people's lives because it's not just a decision, it is, but it's a supernatural thing that's taking place. There's actually an anointing called the salvation anointing that's actually touching their ear and awakening their ear to the reality and the truth of the gospel. And the second part of the body was the thumb. The thumb represented represented service or the hand to be activated again to be able to serve God you know for the leper to be restored and in Galatians 5:13 for you brother brethren or brothers and sisters have been called to liberty only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh but through love serve one another Luke 10:30 30, 37 example of the good samaritan was the good samaritan actually went out of his way to actually reach out and and touch and help someone that was hurting and broken and needed assistance. As Christians who are washed by the blood of the Lamb, not only is our ear awakened to the reality of being able to hear now the voice of the Good Shepherd, but also we start to use our gifts, our actual physical body, and our supernatural gifts start to get anointed because of of salvation, and we can start to actually bless other people. We use our hands to heal and to help others. The third one is the toe, which represents being able to walk. So as unclean with leprosy of sin, we walked in ways of rebellion. We walked in a wickedness and in a strife. We walked away from God. But when the blood is applied, we renounce hidden works of darkness and immorality, and we actually start walking with God. We start walking down the paths of righteousness and purity, and we start to do that U-turn. Does it mean that we're perfect? No. Do we sometimes stumble on that path? Yes, but Christ is right there before us, kneels down and pulls us back up and kind of encourages, sometimes gives us a bit of a pat on the bottom and says, now let's keep going. But we actually decide to U-turn and we start going down that pathway because our feet are anointed because of salvation. Leprosy is symbolic of the Holy Spirit's work in salvation when we are cleansed from our spiritual leprosy sin. Just as leprosy moves into the physical body and destroys it, so sin moves in to destroy and kill the spirit. And so it was not only the blood of the lamb that cleansed the leper, it was the anointing oil. It was the anointing oil that combined with the blood of the sacrifice to be, which is now a symbol, in the Old Testament is now a symbol of the Holy Spirit. So the blood of Jesus and the oil of the Holy Spirit worked together to actually bring someone into a place of an identity transformation called salvation. And so I wanted to start with that foundation. Because maybe, just maybe today... You've never encountered the anointing of salvation. Maybe you're here today and you've heard about the gospel or you've heard about Jesus or you've been ministered to before or maybe you were into it one time but you, and, and for whatever reason or maybe you're brand new to it today. I want to tell you that there is something called the salvation anointing. And maybe after this service, we can pray for you. If that's a decision that you're willing and ready to make, then we will pray for you. Everyone say the second anointing. Is the priestly anointing. Okay, let's have a look now at the priestly anointing. Now, the priestly anointing really is what? It's about empowering us to be able to minister. 
And can I say this? The priestly anointing is not just for ordained ministers. It's not just for the official pastors and and prophets and apostles and teachers and evangelists. It's for everyone in the body of Christ. We are all called to be ministers. Who agrees with that? And so every person who's in the body of Christ, God wants to pour out a priestly anointing upon you. Let me make it clear. The priestly anointing is not just for people who are in full-time ministry. That, that's what we call officers, and they're ordained into that as a recognized authority in the body of Christ on planet Earth. But there is a specific anointing called the priestly anointing that empowers every believer to be a minister of the truth and the power of God. And so in Exodus chapter 29, verse 29... We're going to read this part here. It says, And the holy garments of Aaron shall be his sons after him to be anointed in them and to be consecrated in them. This was for Aaron and his sons, the priests of the tribe of Levi. So it's talking about the priests of Levi who were actually anointed to be priests. There was an identity. Can I tell you this? That it's sad that some Christians never make that shift in their identity. Some Christians stay under that place of salvation, but they never shift beyond that. They never see themselves as being able to minister. They never see themselves as being worthy enough to pray for someone else, to bring a word of encouragement. And it is sad because it's not true. There's like some blockage there that's stopping those people. Maybe it's because they feel like they just are just stumbling, walking out their salvation. But can I tell you, sometimes the way to solidify your walk in salvation is starting to get the revelation that something beyond just your salvation and that you're called not to just be with Jesus to kind of rescue yourself all the time, but you're actually called to be with Jesus to miss and to serve and help others. Can I tell you the very reason why I started to really accelerate my growth in God was because I didn't just focus on, oh, I'm saved, I'm saved, I'm saved. I need to stay saved. I need to stay saved. I need to stay saved. Oh, please, please, I need to... I need to. I got past that and went, man, this is awesome. There's a kingdom and God's got a mission. I want to be a part of it. God, use me. And when you start to get that hunger for that identity, that actually starts to solidify this because God says, okay, if you want this... If you desire this, then I need to empower you to kind of walk this a certain way so we can release you into this. And can I tell you, it's good for you because you actually get a desire to put off the things of the flesh so that you can grow in authority in order to be able to be used. So many people struggle in their salvation because all they're trying to do is work out how do I stay saved? How do I live right? How do I do this Christian thing? And they've got no greater vision beyond just their own Christianity, their own salvation. And it's limiting. Because without a vision, people perish. If all it is about is, oh, my own Christianity, oh, Jesus, I'm not good enough. I'm so weak. Oh, please. We've got to get past that. And there's an anointing that comes upon you for the work of the ministry. And it's a fun anointing. It's an empowering anointing. It gets you excited. So if ever you are losing excitement about the things of God, then maybe your fuel tank called the priestly anointing is a little low and you need to go into the fuel petrol station and say, God, I need a top up. What's different about the salvation anointing versus the priestly anointing is the salvation anointing you actually can't lose unless you choose to directly walk away from God. If you're battling walking out your salvation, doesn't mean you lose the salvation anointing. doesn't mean you lose your salvation. You're just going to stay right with God in terms of stay honest with God and you'll work it through with Him. Trust me. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He'll never give up on you as long as you just stay focusing on Him. Even if you're battered and bruised and then kind of feel like you're in quicksand he is the one true God he'll always pull you out and rescue him just stay focused on him but it's when you do actually choose in your heart to get you know what stuff ya (laughs) and some people do then yes they need to repent and recommit their heart to Jesus and they'll feel it They'll feel that separation. They'll feel actually something of the peace of God leaves their life. They may not feel it in 24 hours, but they'll feel it probably within about two weeks, bit by bit. And so the priestly anointing is for us to be able to do things for God. Now, all believers, now let me just say this. 
Sometimes people think that the priestly anointing is for ministry and the kingly anointing is for the marketplace. That's actually not holistic. It's more actually the priestly anointing can be used in the marketplace. The priestly anointing is about being, uh, having your giftings activated for fruitful work and, and for things to be fruitful. And you can use that in ministry and you can actually also use that in marketplace. Okay, But the kingly anointing is actually anointing for dominion. It's the next level. And that can be activated in ministry, and it can also be activated in the marketplace. It's an authority in ministry. The kingly anointing is the one, because you worship the guy, Jesus, called the king of kings. He's the king of kings. When you're operating in your kingly anointing, you're doing the thing that he says to have the ability to cast out demons. To take dominion, to rule and reign. But even in the marketplace, taking territory, having dominion, to be able to actually have a meeting with someone, right? Who's a top, you know, it's not just all about CEOs, but a top CEO who knows his stuff. To be able to be in a board meeting and to be able to look at him and see yourself as a peer knowing there's an anointing on you to actually influence and to actually speak about strategy and to actually turn this person's mind around for the betterment of a particular organization. It takes authority. It takes a mindset that I'm called to rule and reign. I'm called to command an atmosphere here in this very boardroom where this guy is responsible for multi-million dollar deals. And you know what? It's not just about marketplace in terms of that level I'm talking about if you're a hairdresser I'm talking about if you're a teacher I'm talking about if you're amen Alex where's my brother Alex if you're a DJ wanting to shift to new levels in the UK USA amen there's a kingly anointing that God wants to release so that you can be positioned to rule and to reign So priestly anointing, all believers are called to full-time ministry. You may not be called a pastor, evangelist, prophet, teacher, or apostle, but nonetheless, you are in full-time ministry. If you're a Christian, you're in full-time ministry. Come on, let me say it. Let's shift to mindsets. If you are a Christian, you are in full-time ministry. If your heart is beating and you love Jesus, you are in full-time ministry. This anointing, the priestly anointing, is for ministry unto the Lord, including leading souls to Him, ministering to Him as priests of God, making disciples, building the church. If we therefore are, to, are ministers to God, and we are, we must have the power of the Spirit to do so. That's why we encourage people. I've seen people who've really sometimes, for whatever reason, I don't know, they've never positioned themselves to actually allow the Holy Spirit to really take off in their life, as in I'm talking about getting baptized by the Holy Spirit. Can I tell you, when people get baptized in the Holy Spirit, something shifts on the inside. And the Holy Spirit and the Word of God starts to break out of them and they actually start becoming an influence. It's no longer just about them trying to work out their own salvation, but there's something on the inside that starts to break out and they're actually wanting to pray for people. They're actually wanting to reach out. It's actually about how they can touch other people. When the Spirit of God gets activated on the inside of you, then it's actually a lot less about you and more about what you're called to do and impact the people around you. Can I just say this to you? Do not get upset with yourself. And don't be Mr. or Mrs. Shame and Blame of yourself when you grow low in your hunger of God. Can I say this to you? You just got to get the revelation. If you actually are low, it's because you're lacking fuel. Because there is a spirit to you and there's a flesh to you. If your flesh is dominating, you need to get some fuel. You need a fresh touch of a priestly anointing. Can I tell you, if I try to preach without the anointing... <sighs> It's tough. If you try to do what you're called to do without the anointing, man, is it hard work. It's striving. Okay. <clears throat> now, one couple of things about the priestly anointing is this. Is the priestly anointing actually manifests strongly and solidifies in people's life and increases when they're in unity. Right, so what the what will block the priestly anointing is if people want to be lone rangers, they want to do their own thing. It's all about their own ministry, and they go, "Give me the anointing." Can I tell you the priestly anointing doesn't work like that? It works in teams, it works in families, it works with local churches and and ministries that are networked and combined together. There are far too many lone rangers out there who think their calling and their ministries are so outstanding that they need to overlook everything else around them. Okay? What do we call that? It's called ugliness. It's called pride. Blah. 
And it actually will affect the anointing, the priestly anointing on those ones. So when the genuine priestly anointing has been experienced, there will be unity and harmony. Psalm 133 says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil upon the head running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron, running down on the edge of his garments. There's a flow. So what's important is if you have a heart to be successful, having your gifts anointed with a priestly anointing so they're fruitful for the things of God, make sure it's not just all about what you're doing and you're also protecting the unity and the harmony of the very team, family, community that you're called to be a minister into. Does that make sense? Come on, does that make sense? One reason why the anointing will stop kind of really being built up in your life is that if you're started to not protect the unity of the very family or community that you're called to minister into. And then everything gets hard. It's like a catch-22. So there's no such thing as a private priestly anointing. It comes in oneness, in unity, as the church functions as one body. We know this because on the day of Pentecost in Acts, when they went to the upper room and Jesus commanded them to, to wait upon until the Holy Spirit moved. And the Bible teaches that there was a dwindling. There was people who started to leave. Right? And so it was actually the core that remained that stayed there. And they were the people that received the promise. And so it's about making sure that you have stickability, making sure that you're a, a, a person who perseveres, making sure that you're a person who has commitment. We talked about that two weeks ago. Can I tell you, if there's anything I can teach you about the priestly anointing, is that God will look upon, do you have the character to carry this? You'll be tested at times. Now, also what I want to teach, and this is important too, because I think sometimes there's misunderstanding about this, is that the priestly anointing is not a one-time anointing. The salvation anointing usually is a one-time, unless you directly walk away from God, the salvation anointing is a one-time thing. Right? And then you get saved, and then you actually start to walk into this thing called the priestly anointing. But the priestly anointing is not a one-time anointing, which the leper's anointing is. Under the old covenant, the priests were anointed with oil every day. Can I get everyone to say every day? And the same is with you under the new covenant. So yes, we know that Jesus has done it once and for all. I'm not talking about that. But you're a human being and you need anointing and empowerment to do what you're called to do. So when you go and do something, I know, I can tell you, when I finish preaching today and after we have our leadership meeting and by about 40 minutes after I get home, no joke, I sit down in the lounge and as I'm sitting down, I'm still high on the anointing. Never noticed that I come across as a little bit high when I preach? Okay, well, I'm not always like this, okay? It just is. I'm like an energizer bunny right now. I could go for about two hours. But as soon as I get home and about 40 minutes after, it starts to, you know, it doesn't mean the anointing uh, is leaving me completely, but the full-on activation of it is not required because I'm not preaching, right? When I go home, I don't have to preach to, my, to Sarah all the time or to little Zara, you know, I want to chill out and be human as well. I want to, you know, what, tonight, Wimbledon, Roger Federer versus Djokovic, can't wait, Right? I've got to enjoy my life too. So I'll sit down 40 minutes in. After sitting down this afternoon, I'll go. <sighs> and then that anointing that's on me right now, I know I'll physically feel it will leave because I'll go from <laughs> to. <sighs> I'm tired. Man, I need a coffee. So you physically feel it. You physically feel it. I mean, Greg and Julie, they'd sometimes minute, sometimes they go like, particularly to Korea. Koreans love prophecy. And like they'll go, and they'll be prophesying over 200 people individually after a service. After sometimes they preach three times, prophesying over individuals. 200! Right? And while they're doing it, right? Sometimes they'll get a little bit tired, but they'll say, God, and it, pour some more anointing and boom, energize the bunny again. And then they go back to the hotel room and it's just like, and so it's about understanding that you need to be topped up. Everyone say, it's okay that I need a top up. 
You need to be topped up with your anointing. And this is related to whatever you're called to do, your giftings, whatever it is. You need the anointing and you need to be topped up. So can I just tell you, get over the fact if you feel tired, drained, upset, annoyed, frustrated, not really into things sometimes. It's normal. doesn't mean you're having a full demonic attack and everything's coming against you and the world's about to end. And ah, I need deliverance quick. Now, you might need those things, (laughs) but I'm saying most of the time, it's not actually that, right? It's just that you really need to get in the presence of the Lord and you need to top up because you're running on the dregs. I mean, just the other day, poor Sarah, we went down to the Gold Coast and then I knew that the empty, the tank was kind of empty and I said, no, honey, you know, when you do that, so all right, we'll get the fuel on the way back. And then on the way back, we get into this conversation just talking about something and I got distracted with it because it was a really good conversation and we had the radio on. Zara's in the back watching something like High Five or whatever she's into on an iPad and we're just all talking and chatting and I'm looking back at at Zara in the rearview mirror going, hi honey, high five, high five. She's like, she loves to sing and dance in the car. And so I completely got distracted and so we're 100 metres from a house. If anyone has been to a house, there's a very steep hill just before we get to our driveway, it's pretty steep. Like if I ran up it every day, I'd probably be half the size. I need to do that. That wasn't a prophecy, was it, over myself? Okay. <laughs> and so we're 100 meters from the driveway, no joke, and it's... And I'm trying to get the foot on the accelerator. And, it, and I'm like... And, and anyway, I quickly go, oh, no. And, she's, and it was like slow-mo. She's like... And I'm like, oh, no. And then I had to steer it over to the left, and then we start going backwards. And I'm like, ah, quick, <laughs> put the foot. You know when you're at your engine's off, you put the full on the, uh, your foot on the brake, and it's actually not fully braking. It's that real hard push. Had to get the push in over the side, try and get the hammer. Anyway. We get the car safely over the side of the road. We're 100 metres away. And we'd, we'd actually gone and done some grocery shopping for dinner. So Sarah gets out of the car. And being the kind of woman that she is, she's very positive when things are like this. She goes, hey, let's just get the stuff out of the car. Let's go and get to the house. Let's get a cooking. We'll get our ICQ onto it. Blah, blah, blah. She's just very, in those situations, she's like, right, let's just deal with it. Bang. So in her fervency to deal with it she gets out of the jeep she goes to the back and she opens up the boot not thinking that we're on a gradient like this on the road <laughs> and then the groceries start falling out and I get out of the car and there's like our, our, our cream for the apple crumble tonight rolling down the hill <laughs> and I'm like ah! and so we ran out of fuel we ran out of fuel and can I tell you, sometimes spiritually, I felt like the very last breaths of that car going, and trying to just get myself spiritually parked in a place where I can just go, oh God, I just need a break. I just need time off. I just need to sit and do nothing. And what has he said? He said, right, get on the prayer phone and call Jesus RACQ. <laughs> Get him here straight away to get some fuel in that engine. Call on the Holy Spirit. Call on the Holy Spirit. Call on the Holy Spirit because you need a top up. So if you've ever felt like that car running out of fuel, don't shame and blame yourself and think you're a terrible Christian and oh, you're not on fire enough. And rah, rah, rah. I mean, sometimes you have to get up yourself like that a little bit. Right? You've been real slack spiritually. But if, you, if you're on board, if you're with God and you want, you, you've got that, and sometimes you have those weeks, sometimes you have those months, it's normal. It's just how you respond to it. How you respond to it. Your priestly anointing has to be topped up. And that's why I felt we wanted to do this today. Because at the beginning of the year, we did a release of the anointing. But I felt, you know, it's like the second Sunday of July and, you know, I'm feeling it. It's just like... <laughs> We need, we need to need a fresh, fresh touch. And so the priestly anointing, the presence on the other hand, can be lost at times. And also understand though, sometimes it can also be lost when we actually make some really bad choices in our life. I'll be upfront with you, there's been times where I've made bad decisions 
to do with my walk with God and it's emptied the fuel tank like that, right? So when I've actually made choices and I've sinned and I've turned away from God in that moment by sinning. I'm not talking about walking away from God. So even, you've got to understand the dimension of the anointing. For example, I'll tell you this story. I went to a, this is about, well, how many years have I been saved? 15, this is probably about 12 years ago. I went to this conference and man, it was the best fuel-topping conference. I was just full. I was overflowing. You know how they talk about being overflowing with the anointing. So if you're ministering out of the overflow. Well, it's kind of like your petrol tank. It's so full, there's stuff to just throw at people. Here, here's some fuel. It's all great, right? This conference was just one of those conferences where I was just overflowing. I was just like, whoa. Anyway, two days after the conference, right, I really made a bad decision. And I really disappointed God. Can I tell you, all of that great stuff that was topped up in the conference, I went from a, 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 a full tank to an empty tank, like within 24 hours. So why am I sharing that to you? Because you've got to understand, it's not just about when you get topped up for the Lord of the anointing, and then you're actually, um, you know, you're just working and you're doing the work of the Lord, or you're, you're building your, your, your home and you're building, you know, your business and you're, bu- you're building whatever you're called to do in the local church, you've got your ministry, whatever it is that you're doing. Yes, by actually doing the work of the Lord, like when preaching, you go home and then, you know, you need a top-up. But also what will enter your fuel tank is not just working in the anointing and in the top-up, but actually what will kind of put a big fat hole in your fuel tank and actually empty it out very quickly, which will be a big waste of the anointing, is when you've actually got a full tank and then you go and make some really stupid decisions. Now, does that mean that your whole walk with God then becomes completely null and void and you, 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 you are disqualified? No. But understand the practical reality of how the anointing builds and how it can actually be leaked out very quickly. So that's why you've got to put value on the anointing. That's why God says, have a disciplined life, making sure that you stay close to God, making sure that you don't have this attitude about sin, like, oh, I'll just go and sin because Jesus will forgive me. Because people who have that salvation mentality, I've talked about this before, will make those choices because they've never got the revelation. They're actually called to be a vessel for God and they're given anointing, which is actually really valuable that it actually you have to pay a price to get that anointing and you've got to put value on it you've got to protect it and that provides even more motivation of why you want to grow and strengthen in your discipline in your walk with the lord can i get everyone to say amen to that okay now let's just finish off with this third one called the kingly anointing and i want to read from 1 samuel chapter 10 verse 1 to start with The kingly anointing. We'll read this story about Samuel. Then Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on his head and kissed him and said, It is not because the Lord has anointed you, commander over his inheritance. 1 Samuel 16, 13. Then Samuel took the horn. This is another version. Took the horn of oil. This is upon David. Then Samuel, the prophet Samuel, took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, David, from the day forward. So Samuel arose and went to Ramah. So thirdly, the Old Testament talks about this third type of anointing. And it's the anointing of a king. And the anointing of a king was an anointing to rule. It was an anointing to take dominion. It was an anointing for power and authority. And so I want you to understand that every believer should desire to walk in a kingly anointing. I don't want you to sit there and go, oh, that's not me. Oh, that's not me. Oh, that's not me. I'm, I'm not called to do that. Because if that's how you think, let me tell you this. If you think that, and if you keep thinking that, I can tell you this. You'll never receive the kingly anointing. If you stay small minded and go, oh, that's not me. I, I, I couldn't do that. Well, then you won't position yourself and talk to the Lord about it and you'll never receive it. You'll never know this extra dimension of the anointing. And so it's important to understand that God wants to release this anointing upon everyone. Once you have experienced the leper's anointing, which is a salvation anointing, and gone on to the priestly anointing, do not stop is my encouragement today. 
As wonderful as those two anointings are, there is more. Can I tell you, there is more. Pastor Dallas and I were talking about this the other week. It was a great conversation about shifting from kind of in your Christian walk and you're growing and, you know, maintaining to building. Remember that conversation? It was a great discussion around shifting from maintaining to building. And can I tell you, if you're in a season of your life where you know that God is wanting you to start building, building your marriage, building your family, building your understanding of what you're called to do in ministry, building your call in the marketplace, building your business, building your finances, starting to rule and to reign, to take a shift to that next level of being able to say, you know what? You know, a lot of times I think Christians have this religious mindset. Oh, no, it's supposed to be meek and mild. And Jesus wouldn't want me to do that because, you know, that would be, that would be too ambitious because, you know, I just need to stay in the back corner here. I need to just, you know, always be struggling and just always just treading, um, you know, treading myself in the water and just barely having my mouth above the water trying to breathe and calling on Jesus, saying, Jesus, save me today. Save me. <laughs> Can I just tell you, can I just tell you right now, if there's anyone left in this house that thinks like that, can I just say with a papa's heart right now, when I look at my little girl Zara, I wouldn't want that for her. And how much more amazing is our father's heart towards you and I than my heart towards my little girl is? I'm telling you, I love her. I would, I, would roll under a, I would roll under a bus and let the bus flatten me like a pancake in a second to save her life. I'd do anything for her. How much better is our father's heart towards you and I? Right? So can I just tell you, for what I, sometimes it just, it just amazes me. Sometimes you can come into the kingdom with that mindset, but if you... Stay in the kingdom with that mindset. I don't know what teaching you're getting under, but it's not good. Does that mean sometimes where our circumstances aren't lining up to that promise in our heart? Yes. Is that annoying? Yes. Is that frustrating? Yes. Do you sometimes want to hit the wall? Yes. But allow that frustration to actually be a positive thing in your life. Cry out to God. Get down on your hands and knees and go, God, give me the revelation. Give me the wisdom. Give me an understanding about what is this thing called the kingly anointing. Because I know that in, with you, I am called to rule and reign. And firstly, it usually starts in the spiritual realm. It means that you actually have to catch an identity. When you read the word and you read... Uh, you know, the Old Testament and the New Testament, the Holy Spirit gets on it. It's about this sense of authority that God wants to actually instill within you. Can I tell you, if we're called to have authority to cast out demons, if we're called to have authority to be able to speak to situations like mountains, to be able to speak to situations like storms, are we, does it always just have to be the super spiritual stuff or can we not speak to our finances? Can we not speak to our business? Can we not speak to our family? Can we not rule and reign in the community? Can we not be an example, an ambassador who's someone who's actually being able to actually get above the water and say, you know what, this is what God's doing for me because I'm leaning on his word and I'm hanging out with him and he's giving me an understanding of who I am, that I am called to have order and I'm called to be organized and I'm called to be prepared and I'm called to plan and I'm called to rule and reign. Who knows that for a king in the Old Testament like David, he couldn't be some disorganized kind of slack person who's been, oh, huh? But also he had to have a spiritual authority. Sometimes I see people struggle in the practical. They're trying to be kingly, but then spiritually they're not there yet. And there's a journey. Nothing can compare out of those first two. I mean, the salvation awning is awesome. Don't get me wrong. That's a miracle. The priestly awning is awesome but they actually don't compare to the level of impact. I can tell you, the, the kingly anointing that I've experienced with God is there's just this raw thing about it. Right? When it gets on the inside. And can I tell you, when I empty out of that, man, do I crave it. 
Because particularly when God starts to shift it to new levels, you need that kingly anointing because when you go to, to that level, new level and you're, you're ruling and reigning, who knows that when, you, when you've got kings and you've got um, kings of this land and you've got people who are in high levels of government, if they're Christian, man, there's the whole uh, uh, hell that's coming against them. So when you go to new levels, there's a price that you have to pay to be able to actually hold that kingly anointing. Now, I'm not standing here you know, wanting to say that I'm perfect or whatever. I can tell you, though, there was someone like me that was standing up here giving this teaching one day, and I was there, and, and God was saying to me, Brad, this is now your time. You need to start to study this. You need to start to get into this because I've got something for you that requires this level of anointing, and you need to humble yourself and get before me because if you don't position yourself and if you don't humble yourself, then you're not going to get the anointing. If you don't get the anointing, it's all going to be dreams, and it's not going to happen. That's how God spoke to me. It was a very specific time in Sydney when I was at a particular conference and there was this great word I've shared it a couple of times. And the Lord said to me and he spoke to me and he said, Brad, there are three things in this season that I'm going to do a work, but you need to get on your knees and you need to start to get an understanding that you're called to be a king in my kingdom. And he said, what I'm going to do is you're going to, you're going to have a wife and you're going to get married. And on the inside, I'm going, Hallelujah. <laughs> And God said, you're also going to buy a property. You're going to buy your first property. And God said, I'm going to start to release to you a blueprint of a business that you're going to have in the years to come. Now, all of that has manifested and more beyond that. But it was a moment of revelation. It was a moment of identity transformation in there receiving the word under the anointing that God said, start to shift now from the priestly. You've been doing that. You're going to continue to do that. But God said, now there's this next level. And I want to say to you, in this house, this house is called to raise up not just priests, not to just see people saved, but this house is called to raise up kings. And not just raise them up, but release them in the right timing. There's got to be a testing. There's got to be some practice, like David when he went from one to the next to the next of victories. The kingly anointing is the most difficult to receive. Whereas the leper's anointing comes by accepting Jesus and the priestly anointing comes by fellowship with Jesus, the kingly anointing comes by obeying Jesus. Let me say that again because it's probably one of the biggest points of today. Whereas the leper's anointing comes by accepting Jesus, healing, salvation. And the priestly anointing comes by fellowship with Jesus. The kingly anointing comes by obeying Jesus. You have to pay a price. It is when you hear the reamer word of the Lord spoken just for that moment, which says, thus saith the Lord, which is like that moment that happened to me those years ago, when I first started to even be open to this whole thing called that kingly identity in the kingdom. When you start to open up your understanding in your heart and you get excited about it and you start to pursue God and you start to go into the Word, you start to go into... There was a key season where I studied the Word and I got into the presence of God because I was hungry to understand it. And it was amazing because God would just download. He'd give me vision about the future. He'd give me vision about my children. He gave me vision about church. He gave me a vision about ministry. He gave me a vision about different things. It was exciting, just downloading. But it was still a mystery. It was still faith, but just feeding on the word. Let me share this with you. The Logos, the written word, God's Bible, will give you an understanding of your identity, will help you to solidify that. But you've also got to call on all these different things in terms of looking at the past victories, looking at where God's taking you. Look at, listening to your prophetic words, very similar to what Pastor Ben was talking about last Sunday, which leads into this, about declaring. There's one thing about the kingly anointing, is that when it gets upon you, there's a desire within you to declare, to decree. The word says, decree a thing, it shall be established. I mean, it was such a blessing to have Pastor Ben last week share that, because I knew that this word was coming this week, and even in my own life, Jesus said to me, Brad, I need to challenge you on you need to shift your declaration and decrees to a whole new level. And so I want to say to you, in this house, be 
encouraged to open your mouth and to declare your future, to declare your family, to declare what it is that God has for your family, to declare what God has for your household, to declare what God has for you. I know one couple particularly, I won't name them, but they got incredibly blessed by the word because there was a specific thing that Ben talked about that just spoke deeply to the hearts about a promise that God had for them. The kingly anointing is only through obedience of what the word has told you to do. What the word has told you to do. We have a kingly and a priestly anointing. However, most saints only operate in their priestly anointing, which is, is, which is you know, the priestly anointing we're called to praise. We're called, um, the priestly anointing is also about reconciliation. We reach out to people. We minister to people. The priestly anointing is about intercession. The priestly anointing is about worship. The priestly anointing is about fellowship. The priestly anointing is about praying for each other. It's all fantastic. It's great. We all know how to praise God, sing unto God, and some of us can even worship God. Amen. Unfortunately, though, not everyone is clear about the kingly anointing. The kingly anointing refers to government, dominion, and authority. This releases the anointing power to legislate, to constitute, to regulate, and to rule things. When we make declarations of faith, we are operating in the kingly anointing. David's relationship with God and his leadership aptitude, King David, demonstrated the kingly and the priestly anointing working together. Just almost stepped in a hole. Someone pray for me. I'm okay. (laughs) David was a great example of those two anointings working together. Can I tell you this? It's not about going, oh, well, salvation's great and priestly, but Brad's saying, oh, the kingly anointing. The kingly anointing perfectly comes when you've established your salvation and then you've actually built over seasons a good priestly anointing and you've been faithful with that. I'm I'm not actually just saying that they're not important. They are important because they are the key steps to then going into the... But sometimes people don't even understand there is a next step. There is a next level. I'm just telling you, church, there is. There's a next level. The kingly and the priestly anointing is essential, and they work together. Okay, let's just, I'm going to ask Pastor Jason to come, have some music, or Henry, whoever. You good? Okay. I want to share just a couple last points about the kingly anointing. As it is in the natural, so it is in the spiritual. A greater anointing often demands a greater price. According to Jesus, for unto whosoever much is given of him shall much be required. I'm going to ask all of our pastors and Prophet Bob to be ready because you guys are going to receive the anointing first, then we're going to release it. Those that carry the anointing, the kingly anointing, because of its costliness, must put their trust and confidence in God. When you think about David and you think about him taking down the bear and taking down the lion and taking down Goliath, there was a great example there of this amazing man of God who actually had all three anointings. When Prophet Samuel prophesied and brought that kingly anointing upon him, the Bible teaches that he wasn't the standout He wasn't the best looking brother. He was someone that no one would have picked. But God knew that there was something in him that was faithful and there'd been a testing already. And even before he was to step fully into his his identity as being a king, there were many years before he even became king that God released a kingly anointing upon him. Watch this. There was another king before him, the Bible teaches, King Saul. And King Saul was someone who was anointed to be king, but actually wanted to do things his own way and didn't really want to obey God. And there was a time where he actually wanted to do the priestly thing, and he wasn't called to do the priestly thing when he was supposed to do the kingly thing, and he actually wanted to take over what the priests were doing because he thought they weren't doing it quick enough. So he thought, you know, because he was king, he could get out of the order of God. 
And that very decision shifted him into what we call strive mode, where he was trying to bring a result without the appropriate anointing. Why am I mentioning all of this? Because I want you to know this. One of the things that tested David's ability to be faithful with all these anointings was also his ability to honor a man of God. Listen to this. Was David's ability to honor a man of God above him who wasn't actually flowing great in his anointings. I want everyone to catch this because if you miss this, you're going to miss a big point. One of the key things that qualified David's ability to receive the anointing and walk in the anointing, everything that had for him, was how did he respond to Saul? Saul was after him. Saul wanted to murder David because he was jealous of David, because Saul could actually see that the anointing that he wasn't willing to pay the price for, the real fulfillment of the kingly anointing and the priestly anointing working together, the right order and the right build of the anointing and the right seasons and paying the price and the sacrifice to actually not just be about gifting but about character, that David was the true example and Saul hated him for it. Because Saul knew that David was going to walk in a destiny that he would not experience because he wasn't willing to pay the price. And I want you to listen to this. And Greg and Julie, probably one of the first times that I heard them teaching about leadership, they sat me down. And they said, one thing about King David you've got to learn in this lesson of the Bible is that he, in his own humanity, had every right to think this leader above me I'm not going to, no, because Saul wanted to kill David. Now, did David have to run away? Yes, to live. (laughs) Did he have to get away? Yeah. But he had ample opportunities. Catch this now. David had ample opportunities to kill Saul, to take claim of his rightful position to be king of Israel and to kill the king who actually wanted to murder him. But what did David choose to do? David said, no, I cannot touch the anointed man of God. That was a test, church. That was a massive test for David. I'm going to share with you personally. I've gone through the same test. I've experienced people who I've had to serve under, who I thought, were striving, who have thought, man, that's not right. And under good counsel, Greg and Julie ministered to my life and said, you know what? You need to keep speaking words of life over that leader. You need to honor the anointing, even though the man may not be perfect. And please put up your hand in this room if you are perfect. What does Jesus say? about the stones. He without sin cast thee. Yeah. The test for David was not to go on and on to God and complain about how frustrated he was with the leader above him. The test for David was to recognize that there was imperfection in the man of God, but there was an anointing on him. And if he responded correctly in his heart by still honoring that man of God, by honoring the anointing. That God would position David in the right hour and the right season, in the fulfillment of the promise that Prophet Samuel declared all those years before. Everyone just close your eyes. Since the Holy Spirit is just doing a work, I see a picture of a patchwork. And I see the Holy Spirit as like a a needle and thread. And I hear the Lord say that today in this place, He's wanting to do a a healing work. And I hear Him say that He's wanting to patch together some pieces of people's hearts that have been disjointed, that have been disappointed. 
I hear the Lord say, don't be distracted by the imperfection of men. But be attentive to the perfection and faithfulness of your God. I hear the Lord say, as you look to me, church, and you focus on me, church, and you put your trust in Jesus. Pursue me, says God. Chase after me, says God. I'm wanting to release new things, says the Lord. I'm wanting to release new dimensions of the anointing, says the Lord. I'm wanting to release a new understanding and revelation of identity, says the Lord. For God's saying that as you kneel to me, as you glean to me, as you press into me in this time, as you press into my word and you shut out other distractions, the Lord says, I'm wanting to release a new dimension of authority in people's lives in this place. But I'm also wanting to release a new hunger for unity in this place. And I hear the Lord saying that there are some people who've been in this house for seasons. And I hear the Lord say that He's wanting to patchwork some parts of your heart to bring an understanding of coming together in oneness and unity under the very anointings that the Lord is releasing. And I hear the Lord say that as you do this and as you learn and learn and learn to continue to come together and to work together, and to unify together, even though sometimes you may not all be in agreement about every little thing. I heard the Lord saying that He's going to see the faithfulness of the people, and He's going to continue to release the anointings for not just corporate dreams, but for individual dreams. And I hear the Lord saying that He wants to decree upon the people today, but there are an understanding of open doors in this place. And even after we prophesied that at the beginning of the year, I'm hearing the Lord say this, that He's releasing blueprints for family and families and He's releasing blueprints for businesses. And I'm hearing the Lord say that He is wanting to help people to go to new levels of financial stewardship. And I'm hearing the Lord say that He's releasing an identity of the kingly anointing. For the times and seasons that are before us, says the Lord, are times of darkness versus light. And this is a time and this is an hour to come and unite like never before. This is a time to put aside the distractions of the disagreements and the frustrations. This is a time to unite upon your anointings and with your anointings together because the Lord says that we have a common enemy and the Lord says it's time now to rise and to shine and to start to actually declare and decree not only the things that should be manifesting for our future but also to declare and decree against the very enemy that would try and come against us in this hour. Holy Spirit, release a healing in this place.